welcome to everything comes together my name is shrinag and i'm an architectural photographer based in chennai india my guest today is type designer and typographer tanya george lettering fonts and text are all around us in nearly every avenue of our lives and we rarely give them a second glance every beautiful font we casually use in documents or every font we may scoff at when used inappropriately has actually been the subject of days weeks or even months of work tanya is one of the people who works hard to design a better looking textural landscape around us apart from her work designing fonts she writes about type to spread the word and conducts type walks explaining older styles of type in the real world I had been waiting to speak with her since even before I had a podcast. So what you will hear today is a story about a life in type. I am a type designer, but I also do a uh, graphic design and I specialize in identity design work. Apart from that, I uh, write um, about design and specifically about uh, typography and type design. Um I also teach and i also conduct type walks which are kind of uh, heritage walks around the city where i talk about um, the space that we're walking through but through typographic lens and um how did you actually get started in teaching particularly um teaching was something that happened once i got back from my masters degree um i came back to india and a friend asked me if um i would be interested in helping her out with the course and that was the beginning of uh, the teaching journey and then um as i did one course someone else got in touch with me and from there on it just became a more sort of um organic flow so to say but yeah um, that was my first uh, in need to teach how do you teach in colleges or do you teach workshops how does that work um now it's become a mix um uh, of things i primarily teach uh, uh, an undergraduate course uh, it's more to do with using type than creating type so page layout and graphic design and the application um, of typography um, on different materials and different interfaces um but i also do workshops that are not in an academic sphere so uh sometimes i've merged the type work with uh, followed by a workshop because they kind of complement one another right so there have been these other uh, sort of side sessions but uh, basically not something that is uh, academically structured and something that's open to uh, uh, essentially non design students anyone could attend okay okay so now i i i have to ask you something that uh is going to be a bit odd um so when you there is a difference between the word type and typography and font and i think a lot of times things are used very interchangeably right but is right. that what's the correct usage of each one of those words um so i mean i use type uh and typefaces and fonts interchangeably um as well um because it's just convenient a lot of times people don't know what type refers to but they know fonts because they have that drop down menu in their um software but uh, the difference uh, was more important uh, a couple of centuries back when um fonts were a physical object so when back then you could hold them because they were made out of a combination of metals and they were like building blocks so you build a word uh, by placing one piece uh, with the letter on it next to another piece and put gaps in between build a whole sentence uh, include line spacing and build a whole page and so on and so forth P- uh, print books or posters and etc and stuff like that the things that you could hold in your hand um back then uh, that object that you held in your hand was the font the design on it was the typeface and that is still true today but because um there is nothing you can hold in your hand anymore a font is not a tangible object but something that you um it, it's a file that you uh, or a piece of software that you load onto your computer 
um, that that distinction has sort of blurred and you could call it either but essentially even today that file would be the font file and um, the design that comes in it would be the typeface well i think that that does clear things up because you know it's it it's like when um, people use different words when they talk about in uh, different photography terms as well right um yeah. when they actually use the word we want you to focus on something but they don't actually mean they want you to focus on that they want more lighting right. on it. they want more emphasis on it but right. they use that in photoshop as well there are different terms that they use and it's it's sometimes a little confusing because i may know the correct technical term and i actually carry something out but the yeah. client or the person you're collaborating with actually means something else entirely no i i, I agree and i completely identify with the feeling but it depends on uh, who i'm talking to and i might expect that from uh, somebody who i might be interviewing for a job um uh, possibly but not um you know i'm not going to sit and correct every person who's going to sort of use them to change it um so how do you describe yourself as uh, what what do you identify as when it comes to your work um that's a great question uh, and also a terrible one because <laughs> uh, one of the things i least enjoy is uh, trying to uh, write my bio and how to explain to someone what all i do uh sometimes it's difficult for my parents as well um to explain to people um uh, because i do a whole bunch of things uh, as i said earlier um uh, but i would like to think of myself primarily as a tech designer um and yeah and then comes the graphic design um then comes the writing then comes the teaching and um all of the other things essentially um with type slash fonts being the central the focus of uh, everything i do i have all these things uh, in the periphery and um, yeah some i i i would say i'm a type designer slash typographer um, i know that doesn't bring it down to one but um, i think that's simple that's... enough considering the number of things you do okay let's just go right back to the beginning now and let's talk about how you actually got interested in type and how what made you actually move in that direction um it's i mean i really don't remember a beginning but i think i was just always really interested in letters um I remember scribbling on the margins of notebooks, on the last pages of my notebooks, you know, uh, lyrics to songs or um, album covers or song names, and doing fun doodles with the letters itself, and making them merge with one another. And now I know they they're called ligatures, but back then I just thought, oh my god, this is so cool! I made it, made these two alphabets merge with one another. Um, yeah, and I I always. Um, did that so much so that um, what i use as my logo today um started off in the margins of my notebook somewhere in the seventh standard uh, and i of course i created on it is still not the same but the inherent structure um is pretty much that and it excited me as much back then as it does today which is why i continue using it as the design yeah i think it's quite fascinating that you are interested in something in such a little niche um of, of type alone even though it's not a niche because you see type everywhere right you see fonts you yeah. see text all around you and everything there is has been deliberately made in some way but still it's so easy to think of it as almost like a tiny little subset of people who do it and you're interested in it um did this come from an interest in art were you were you much of an artist did you like draw and sketch and stuff i did i uh, i drew and i sketched uh, quite a bit as a kid um and i got a lot of encouragement from my parents from family and friends as well um who appreciated the skill and the talent and that was always sort of nurtured because they appreciated it i was really uh happy with that appreciation and it was it sort of fed me into doing it uh more and more and eventually um getting into it uh, professionally so that's how i also ended up um 
going and doing an undergraduate degree to start off with and we learn from there. Okay, and uh, since you mentioned your parents and your family, did, were any of them involved in the arts in some way or um, uh, did they just encourage you because you were interested in it? Yeah, no, um, I, no one in my age, actually no one I know really was in the design field. That was something that worried them that they had no clue how to possibly help me along in the field, what any parent might uh, feel like. Um, but they, they, they still um, trusted that I would figure it out. Um, but nobody in the family uh, was really in this field. I think that's pretty great. They didn't try to make, uh, they didn't even try to nudge you in the direction of the traditional, um, as you I think we talked about this earlier, the engineering and medicine. Yeah, um, no, I think I was very clearly sure uh, in school itself that I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I was very sure what I didn't want to do. And medical and engineering were definitely not it. Um, briefly, my dad suggested I might want to do uh, a BSc in math because I did enjoy the subject, um, but it was never really... Uh, required of me. In fact, I remember my grandfather thinking, you know, I will, oh, she should try and become an IAS officer and all. And my dad's dad told my granddad that this is not something she's interested in, don't force her. So in that way, I think I was really lucky that my parents were fairly supportive. They were very supportive. In fact, they, uh, they put me through college, essentially. Um, so I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, I, I, I get that. Um, so when I would uh, teach so one of the big reasons I, I told you this one of the big reasons why this podcast happened in this format where it's where it's so much about the background is because I used to be asked that as as uh, as a child how did you or as a kid getting into college how did you convince your parents to let you do this and I had no problems um, with that so I found it very hard to answer people so I thought the best way to get the answers is to talk to other people who have faced the problem before. And uh, yeah. it's, it's good when you don't have to face it. No, absolutely. It, it's one less hurdle because there's so many things um, to sort of put you off this field, really. Uh, this would have just made it that much more harder and grateful to not have yeah. had to face that. I get that um so um at this point you finished school and then you're heading off to college and um yeah. what did you actually study um so i applied to a whole bunch of places and finally um and basically i gave the only entrance exams i gave were to different design colleges and i finally made it through jj uh, which is the jj institute of applied arts in bombay and uh, I studied that my uh, degree, my undergraduate degree is, uh, uh, it's a BFA in brackets AA because it's a Bachelor in Fine Arts, brackets Applied Arts. Um, because you get to apply all this um, art knowledge into the design sphere, into basically you, you, it trains you to get into advertising uh, in some way or the other. And within the college itself, we had specializations and back then one of them was calligraphy typography and lettering and at an undergraduate level I chose that as my specialization and this was your um, your primary choice of uh, college to get into um, yes I, I mean um, so I applied to NID I applied to uh, symbiosis I want to say I applied to NIFT um, I really didn't know, like, my family didn't really know how to go about it and what might be a great school. NID, of course, was um, known of uh, everywhere, so that was um, something I aimed for. Um, I got through uh, the entrance exams for all these places, and I did terribly in the uh, interviews, so... Then in the end, JJ happened. Thankfully, they didn't have an interview round, which might have changed my trajectory altogether. Uh, but yeah, it, it was it was not. There was no first choice really. Um, I was just happy JJ happened, uh, and I got to 
design art because I, I as a backup I had signed up for a BSc course and I'd already done a month of BSc uh, when JJ results came out and that's when I ended up going. Oh wait, what was the BSc course you were in? Mathematics. Uh, uh, BSc in life science. Oh, life science. You didn't end up even doing a month of BSc maths before you went into JJ. No, no. By that, the math suggestion was back in the 10th hand when I did extremely well okay. uh, in maths. Uh, by the 12th, I was really interested in biology as well. So it was, I, I think I would have really enjoyed becoming some sort of a forensic scientist. Um, but that is not to be. Was your interest in biology also down to drawing diagrams? Uh, yeah, I actually did that for a lot of my friends as well. I used to love drawing diagrams in my And that, that was my favorite part of studying biology was <laughs> drawing in the lab. Um, so, now you got into JJ. What was uh, the JJ experience like? Did it live up to the hype? Um, it, uh, it was a very mixed experience. It lived up to the hype for my grandparents who had heard of JJ and were not completely disappointed that their grandchild decided to go do this course because uh, they had heard of JJ. Um, but when I went there, I remember the first year being a real struggle for me. Not so much in terms of what they taught in the curriculum, but more in terms of the fact that um, there were a lot of, uh, most of my classmates would speak Marathi. Uh, more importantly, a lot of the faculty would speak in Marathi. And because that was not a language uh, I was familiar with, I really struggled with that first year. Um, and if it wasn't for the friends that I made who did understand Marathi and could speak in English and translated quite a bit, um, it would have been a very hard uh, experience, much harder than it needed to be. And in doing so, I also became better friends with all these people. So I think it worked out in the end. But it, it um, that, that language barrier was a real struggle. Um, so this brings me on to like two questions. One is, um, were they speaking Marathi as part of their teaching process? Or was that just like when you were socializing after class? No, as uh, the faculty, I mean, the students, yes, but that was kind of understandable because they might not have been familiar with English um, and they would really make an attempt to, I mean, include me. So the students was less of an issue and there were also people who spoke um, English or Hindi. But the faculty would take classes in Marathi or give feedback in Marathi and that was a real struggle. Um, that made it really And hard. that's also, it was hard because you didn't grow up in Bombay. That's right. I uh, I didn't grow up in Bombay. I, I, um, I'm vaguely familiar with Marathi because um, my mom's family speaks Konkani at home and I follow that. So... Um, Thankfully, I was not completely lost, but it was still not easy. And uh, getting feedback in a language that you don't understand um, just made everything so much more hard. So, where did you actually grow up? Um, <laughs> uh, around the country, my father had a transferable job. So, I've had about 10 schools um, and stayed in places for six months. Um, like it's it's been incredible. So uh, Bombay only happened for uh, my post uh, my eleventh and twelfth. I moved to Bombay, um, but before that, I would just visit the city for Christmas breaks and vacations. Okay, okay. So coming back to your time at JJ, the, um, um, apart from the first year, which was uh, a bit challenging, um, how was your experience like with the other students? You must have had a wide variety of diverse group of people um, to collaborate with? Um, yeah, um, there were people, um, I mean, uh, apart from different languages, there were people from other parts of the country as well. Um, and honestly, they were just all so skilled. Um, it was pretty incredible to be able to uh, work with them and learn from them. Uh, I think I really lucked out in terms of the peers that I had. Um, they were, uh, I mean, they were they were gifted artists, but they were also really helpful. And I will forever be grateful, like because they, at times they were the ones who were uh, sort of helping me get better at my skill as well. 
um, in some cases helping me pass exams. Um, <laughs> because uh, we had exams in JJ which were like uh, days long. And I remember one time we had a studio exam where we had to sketch a model and that's my weakest subject. It still is. And back then somebody, this uh, person, uh, uh, Uday and Mayur, they, they, were, they were the most skilled illustrators in class. And they're standing right next to me and like giving me tips on how to, you know, uh, shade the, the, the human figure and sort of make it look better than it, it was looking. Um, and they're just like, everyone was competitive, but there was no meanness in that. And I really appreciated that sense of camaraderie amongst all. Yeah, uh, and did you say your exams were days long? How does that work? Oh yeah. Um, it, so because it was handwork, we didn't work uh, digitally. Uh, we had to um, sketch and draw and paint all of these papers. We'd be given a, a question paper on day one, say make a hoarding design for XYZ brand um, or make an advertisement for this or uh, you know, they'd give a question paper like that. And then you um, basically have a piece of paper, you sketch out your idea, you get that approved, and you have to get your professor's signature, and you leave that paper on your board and leave, and come back the next day and continue working on it. And different papers have different timelines, but minimum three days and maximum five days, depending on the complexity of wow. the I, I, I did not I did not expect that. Yeah. That was, that was a very interesting experience for me too. Yeah. Um, and did you uh, did you get a chance to intern anywhere while you were in college? Um, I did. I interned very late, unfortunately. I, I think I interned in my uh, third year or fourth year vacations. I interned with a, a photography studio called Studio 127. And the moment I did that, suddenly I had this sort of learning spurt altogether uh, because you're out in the real world uh, and you're designing actual things that are going to be used by clients. So there are these realistic expectations and realistic um, uh, limitations also in times in terms of idea, in terms of being able to execute something. Um, and all of that was great. Most importantly, I learned to use the software, uh, which was something that was not really taught in college. And whatever knowledge I had was very basic or friends helped out again. So over there on that internship, just that hands-on experience was invaluable. And I immediately realized I wish I'd done this like from year one and done it more often. Yeah. Because... Um, I would have benefited a lot more. So what did you actually do in a photography studio as a designer? Um, I, I very, uh, it was not a very long internship. I remember assisting uh, for a couple of shoots, but again, there I was, I don't think I was very helpful in the photography aspect of it because I'm really not trained. Uh, like I, I would essentially follow instructions and um, hold like a reflector or something not mistaken yeah. but what i did work on was the books that they work they did they, they, they used to photo, uh, do photography for a lot of jewelry uh designers okay. and then they create the books uh, that would go out uh, that would be printed uh, or some advertisements as well so the design for that was where uh, i was uh, i got to work a lot which was incredible it was my first time using coral draw okay um and that was in itself um, learning by fire of some sort because I mean a, a lot of people might not know of Coral Draw, might not have heard, uh, might not have used Coral Draw, yeah. but it crashes a lot. And <laughs> I remember learning right from the beginning that I had to save every like five minutes to save that file because you didn't know what would happen and if it would crash. So just very realistic things. Um, was, uh, was stuff that I learned over there. Real world experience. <laughs> yeah, I think save regularly is, uh, is one of the best things anyone can learn. Absolutely. I wish, I mean, coulda, woulda, shoulda, but uh, yeah. um, I definitely wish I had done more internships.
and but this must have confirmed that you were um, on the right track and this is really what you wanted to do yeah this was something i definitely enjoyed doing uh, i remember working really late in the night which was also something i enjoyed uh, back then at yeah, least yeah yeah um, all of that was uh, i was happy doing all the work that i Uh, was assigned so that was a um, great uh, affirmation and um, after you finished at jj you finished your internships um this is now the time for you to start your first job and um, you got your first job in goa right yes um i got uh, recruited at a final exhibition in jj um a couple of uh, people uh, who had studied at jj itself had come back to sort of see uh, the final year work and uh, yeah um, from there it was this company called uh, synapse synapse communications um and it seemed uh, amazing like uh, they had given us a small pitch uh, at our exhibition time they, they sort of selected a couple of us from the final year and then we had a follow up interview uh, followed by uh, a round of interviews in goa where we were called to goa uh, i think there was a test uh, of sorts i don't remember anymore and when yeah i got offered my uh, first job over there and i moved to goa um, from bombay i, I remember okay. uh, my dad making inquiries uh, with people who he sort of kind of knew in the industry um to like figure out what is this company in goa and why does it have to be in goa and why is she moving to goa and is this a good move and all of that but my favorite part of that is why does it have to be in goa <laughs> no yeah that was definitely something uh, yeah because there's this idea about goa is like and also uh, for me uh, my experience with goa so far had been uh summer vacations with family because my mom's family is from goa so okay almost okay. every summer we go down to goa but again it was just summer vacations over there so um it was sort of a shift of mind for me as well that i'm going to go to goa and i'm going to be working now um, yeah which was really interesting it allowed me to experience goa in other ways as well uh how how so how how did you experience it differently um because you're working um you don't really Uh, have the touristy life um, right you don't really hit the beaches every day you're working in an office uh, sometimes from uh, morning to very late in the night um, my first job uh, so it, at synapse uh, for the first year when i moved there i was working under um, what was the founder and uh, some other people who were with him who would essentially go out and pitch to clients Mm-hmm. Um, uh, pitch for more jobs for synapse and my job as or my role as a designer was to sort of execute these pitch presentations and when i would tell all my friends who were working at agencies back in bombay uh, and they were just like why are you doing this what is this and to an extent back then uh, i didn't understand uh, what i was learning in the process of creating those presentations uh but now when i look back i realize um, there was some amount of uh, there was a lot of strategy that would have been involved there would have been a lot of uh, thinking and i got to see uh, the thought process of uh, people far far senior to me uh, and how they sort of approached a problem how they uh, pitched for a solution that not only would benefit the client but also use uh, the expertise that the company had and uh, and i would have to visualize this for a uh, presentation of course and that was incredibly valuable information for me to um, apply in the future i would not know this then but as a freelancer you need to apply all of these learnings as well you need to be able to uh, understand what the client wants um, and then sort of figure out a solution that works uh, for them and then yeah. be, uh, also be able to realize that you'll be able to execute it or who all or what kind of skills and manpower are required to execute it and this this ability to sell yourself is something that i started learning right yeah. from the first job that i had which is um i'm 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 always i i, I marvel at the luck of it all and it's it that is an invaluable skill being able to talk about 
your own skills and to sell your services like you said and to uh, sort of frame that in a way that is useful for someone else because i mean i could talk myself up and be like oh i'm amazing and i'm this and i'm that but how is my skill going to be valuable for someone else that's what you not need to be able to convey the most so that was something that i got to learn right uh, at the beginning Um, eventually i moved on to other roles and started designing for other uh, clients but that first job was um, sort of in house designer um, for those pitch presentations which was um, super lucky for me and um, you would have had to work on pretty crazy deadlines so your way of, style of working would have to change yeah uh, because suddenly they'd get a meeting and they'd be like oh we need this by yesterday which is something that is fairly common in uh, graphic design in general um and uh, it, it was strange that first year was pretty intense because there were times when i'd be working super hard i remember um i ran a marathon i ran a half marathon uh, that first year um i finished the marathon and then i came back to work uh, the rest of the day and this was a sunday um so we worked really hard but then also there were times there were no meetings and that place was pretty awesome because they were like we don't have any meetings coming up what is the point of you coming and sitting at working please take the day off or sometimes wow. it was like a couple of days off because there was no meeting in the future and that was incredible too because they realized that there's no point in just calling someone and making them sit and work just for the sake of the fact that we might we are paying them a salary you know and yeah. that that kind of um that that felt less exploitative uh, because yeah. a lot of times people are like no no we are paying you salary you have to come in every day uh, and they'll make you work really hard but also not let you have any time off so uh, that was amazing like i i worked really hard that first year but they also ensured that we had time off and how long did you uh, how long were you at this job um i i worked at synapse for 3 years uh it was uh, first 3 years after i graduated uh, from jj um, okay. and then towards the end of my stint uh, at synapse i realized um that maybe i you know there are certain parts that i like more in the whole design thing so uh, after the pitch presentations i moved to other parts of synapse where i worked uh, on campaigns on uh, designs for larger companies um which was really interesting but from you know we we work on website designs we work on print uh, stuff we work on uh, identity designs and yeah. something i really enjoyed doing a lot was uh, logo design um and I loved working on those projects and it was evident because I thought uh, I think in others did as well that my work on identity work was um, far better than anything else and even within that I really worked uh, really enjoyed working with typography um and I wanted to do more and more of that and less and less of the other things so um I decided towards um the end of second uh, somewhere end of second year midway to third year that you know what i i want to figure out what else i can do and uh, i i quit uh, after 3 years uh, and i started freelancing after that so okay. that fourth year i was freelancing slash figuring out um if i want to do a masters and what would be required of a masters and where would i go and do this masters in um and what masters as well so all of these things sort of happened simultaneously uh, i was still in goa i was based out of goa uh, but i was not uh, working a full time job so um now you talk about your masters and that's where uh, things get a lot more targeted and a lot more focused on yeah. what you're doing now um uh, and you went to study at uh, where did you go and study eventually after you you decided um, where so to go uh i i finally ended up uh, going and doing my masters in web design at the university of reading um it's a university in the united kingdom it's slightly out of london um and i decided uh, on this in that year itself like i quit my job i was freelancing uh, and um, i i was like okay i really like this type stuff 
how do I know more? And um, I, I essentially Googled, um, you know, I think masters in uh, type or something like that. And this Wikipedia list came up, which showed a whole bunch of masters options um, across the world. But of, at that point in time, only two offered a masters in type design in English. And University of Reading was one of them. Um, I applied. I didn't even apply. I wrote to the uh, the professor asking that I'm interested. Could you tell me more about the course? And after a couple of email back and forths, um, he was like, okay, great. Uh, this sounds cool. I'm expecting your application through the formal process. And I was like, wait, does that mean I got it? Um, so that was kind of cool. Like I didn't realize I was... It was happening, but it kind of also happened. And then things snowballed really fast from there. Okay, so that <laughs> so you, you you got in that <laughs> as a bit of a surprise almost to yourself in the manner in which you got in. Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't. Again, uh, no one in my family had gone abroad for a master's at that point in time. Um, okay. People, yeah, they they whoever done their MA had done it. Uh, within the country so no one was really familiar with what the process was and yeah i was literally using google uh, for everything i even when i wrote to this professor whose name showed up on the website i was just like can i know more before you know i start this whole process will it even be worth it and it just it was a back and forth, you know, I sent him my portfolio because he, he asked for my portfolio, I sent him my portfolio. Then he asked for a write-up on one of the projects, which was a type design project. Yeah. And I sent that to him and he was like, and then the next response is, okay, this looks good. <laughs> and I was like, oh, but uh, after that, the formal process requires you to submit your uh, mark sheets um, and that has to have some sort of grading like there's a lot of bureaucracy followed after that so lots of things could go wrong but I remember receiving that email from him saying that oh this looks good I'm expecting your application process and that was pretty special for me yeah so once you went there um, uh, how did how different did you feel the experience was of studying at Reading versus studying here oh my god it was completely different like um i don't think i was prepared if i i i think i would have been far more scared if i knew what was in store but i had no clue uh, whatsoever uh the style of teaching over there uh is very different um altogether it's more of um it, it's not as fit as we are in the indian system and I'm not talking just about the undergraduate level, but also like schooling in general over here is a lot more rote based. Uh, but also the undergraduate program was just, you know, you do this and finish it really well. But we never really understood the process of why we were doing a lot of things. Uh, a lot of the technical aspects of it were not really explained. Um, so the master's in type design um, was an incredible course in the way that um, it expected you to design a typeface at the end of this course, um, but it also expected a dissertation from you. So you had to write academically about a, a topic that you have chosen. And both of these things I had never done before in my life. I had never designed a typeface, nor had I done any academic writing of any significance. Uh, and uh, those were like very steep learning curves for me uh, in terms of the writing as well. I remember uh, having to uh, learn to research in a very structured manner, then write an academic paper where uh, I was introduced to this uh, idea of citing uh, your sources, which, I mean, you need to learn these things and no one, if you're not taught uh, the process to do it, it takes a while to get comfortable with it. So uh, all of this was very new to me but it was something I enjoyed immensely which sort of helped um, it go a bit smoother. Um, I loved reading and I loved learning about all this history um, about um, the his like how type was made um, and not just um, like the English type but also Indian uh, typeface design and how it progressed from a physical object to what we have um, as a file today, as a 
software file today. So all of these uh, histories were extremely fascinating to me and I got to sort of um, do a deeper dive into this uh, ant writing and it, it, it was amazing. And also I had the best peer group. I, I, I lucked out majorly everywhere with the friends I've had on courses I've done. Um, our course at Reading was incredibly um, diverse, but also just really nice people. Again, uh, people who wanted to help you out and give you feedback on your work and uh, basically have no ego in, um, in doing so. And that's kind of a really special experience for me. Yeah. So let's circle back to where you were talk uh, when you were talking about leaving Bangalore and coming back to Bombay, yeah. um, and that that's when you started your freelance journey in earnest, right? Once you got back, yeah. Um, how did you how did you start to pick up work? How did work find you, or how did you go out looking for it? Um. So. Initially, when I first quit my job uh, in 2015, um, and I was still in Goa, a lot of the work that I got um, was from the company that I just left, from Synapse itself, because I worked on projects for them for three years. So I knew the clients. Um, I knew what it was like interacting uh, with them. Um, and they, they asked me to work on some of the projects that I worked for them, which was uh, a great... Uh, experience and once I came back to uh, India and came back to Bombay um, through word of mouth mostly some of the um, people who knew me from Goa reached out and asked me if I'd work on uh, a small project for them um, logo designs and it, it was essentially word of mouth that got around and um, told people oh I was doing this um, I was also figuring out uh, what I wanted to do. So I was figuring out how type design can be a part of it. Um, how I might possibly um, be able to do more of that in this city. And the, the, the teaching happened somewhere simultaneously. So there was lots of overlaps. It, it was not really a linear story. Um, it was a mix of word of mouth for across the board actually, even with the teaching, even with the graphic design work. Um, the type design had not really, like I, I had my own projects that I was working on, but I had not really thought about how I can sort of make money of that. Okay. So, okay. So now we're getting into a little bit of, um, I think you, you said something to me earlier uh, when we spoke about um, a common question that students ask you. Mm -hmm. uh, about uh, freelancing and how you stay motivated. Yeah. So I think that's uh, that that really caught my eye and uh, caught my ear, I should say. And I thought that's something very important. So why don't you just elaborate a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, a lot of the, a really popular question is, oh, where is your motivation? What what motivates yes. you to work? Yeah. And I'm like paying the bills. That motivates me to work. I, you know, I have bills to pay. I have a loan to pay off. Um, I would like, I mean, not in pandemic times, but I would go out and eat. I'd like to travel more. I'd like to go and attend these conferences that happen. And all of this requires money. Um, and uh, money comes from working uh, and meeting those deadlines and asking clients to pay you on time. All of that... Uh, is the motivation I need uh, to finish uh, work. Some work is, um, yeah, I mean, what is self-motivated is self-motivated, but other client work sometimes, it, it is, uh, you know, getting paid is a great motivation. And I'm, I don't think anyone should find that strange. I think that's a great uh, thing to work towards. Yeah, so um, my dad used to uh, tell me something. Uh, so he, uh, so he uh, is a filmmaker. Okay. So when uh, he would, uh, I, when I was in school or when I was in the early years of college, I used to say I'm not feeling inspired to do something. <laughs> and then um, he used to tell me that when you're a professional, you don't wait for inspiration. You you have to make it happen. Inspiration may happen along the way, but yeah. 
ultimately you have to be the professional and execute you know you have to get it done and it has to be consistently good Absolutely. and that comes from discipline right um so so what was your what's your like what does your day look like when uh, you're working on a project what does your day look like um so my day um it generally on on it generally it will start by 9 and um it ideally gets over by around 7 in terms of uh, like working hours but in terms of um, i mean that 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 sounds like a lot of time but it's it's broken up into many different uh, ways so because i do so many different things uh, part of the day might go into um, prepping for a class that i have to take uh, part of it might be just replying to emails which takes up a lot more time than one might imagine uh, as a designer um or replying to uh, or getting on a call to clarify something with the client um a lot of the time might uh, go into researching something um as part of my type box i will take uh, pictures of these signs but then i have to also read up on it i have to figure out uh, a story behind it or what is the story behind it and how to sort of uh, tell that story so all of that requires me to um go and read tons and tons of stuff on the internet or find books that will give me relevant information so it um it's a mix of all of this in the middle of all of this i have to also cook um so that i can feed myself um <laughs> so i mean yeah. usually a working hour a working day is those many hours but um is split into many different ways across uh different days on days that i'm teaching um which is almost three times a week um uh, this year has been a lot more than i normally do um on those days if i'm teaching um that usually starts at 8 in the morning and um goes on till 1 at times uh, in the afternoon and after that i'm just completely drained i i cannot do anything else because i've been uh talking to students and clarifying doubts and um it, after that i'm just um i i i don't want to really do anything i'm just staring at the ceiling or mindlessly uh, watching something um yeah so it 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 changes from day to day um but usually it's between those hours and what would be um what would be the primary challenges that you would face in your work uh, as a freelancer but um because i think this sort of thing applies to most people who would uh, who would be in who would be working freelance yeah. similar challenges are you know um are faced across the board yeah um it's um as a freelancer um it's interesting because um, my my freelance uh life is across um two essential roles graphic design and type design and while there are some aspects that overlap um they're also kind of different so for example uh with graphic design work i find myself that i have to um follow up on payments a lot more um that tends to be uh, something that uh, i don't enjoy like in an ideal world i would have some sort of a manager who would take care of following up on payments but that's something i have to do i have to um check up on them i have to also um sort of deal with this nightmare some some freelancers might be aware of called vendor registration forms which is just really the worst kind of red tape uh there so dissuades you from ever making any money um right up front they expect so much so um, stuff like that but in terms of uh, type design one of the challenges i have is to um translate what it is that i can uh, how is it that i can add value to the client because type design graphic design is at least something they have a sense of um what 
to expect. They might have worked with other graphic designers, but if I'm sort of pitching a type design job, there is um, a lesser understanding. So there is more educating the client that's required. Educating in terms of not just what I can provide, but also what to expect. Just uh, what I spoke about timelines earlier with type design, you need to tell them that this won't happen fast. This will take some time and they need to be okay with that right from the beginning. Um, and how to sort of convey the fact that what you're doing is of value and why they should invest all this money into it. So both of these struggles are very different for graphic design. I think I'm far better at it at, uh, as a freelancer for graphic design because I've done that for longer. Uh, for type design, I'm still figuring out and talking to other type designers who face similar problems. And that sort of helps um, me become better uh, at doing this uh, as a freelancer. So, and, and does this uh, connect to uh, almost like commission type design? Is that what you're talking about or are you talking about in general itself? Uh, so, uh, as a, a type design freelancer, I can work in a bunch of different ways. One of the ways is that someone commissions a typeface for me, from me. Um, uh, this could be uh, an ad agency for one of their clients or a person. Um, like recently, I had uh, someone write to me asking if uh, I would design a typeface based on their handwriting. So stuff like that is something I can offer to individuals, uh, to clients if they have, um, to advertising agencies if they have a company that that's their client and they've designed a logo for them and they want a matching typeface, then I could commission, uh, I could be asked uh, to design a matching typeface for that logo. Um, but I can also work uh, as a freelancer for other type designers. Um, so if someone's designed a set of characters and they want it extended uh, beyond just the basic ABCD that they might have drawn, there are other symbols and numerals and other aspects to type design that I could be asked to sort of extend. Uh, I recently worked on the italic version of an upright design. So they'd already drawn the upright design and I was asked to help with, the, with extending the italic version. Okay, so let me just come back to uh, what we were talking about earlier, right? So is it harder to get a commission for type design than it would be for graphic design? Or uh, is that not as, I mean, is that wrong, basically, what I'm asking? Is that not correct? No, uh, I, I would say yes. At least in my experience, it has been far more easier to get graphic design jobs than type design jobs. Part of it might also be uh, the fact that I'm not part of a type boundary and I'm an individual. But also, I think the bigger gap is just being people being educated about what is possible um, or the fact that um, how this might be actually beneficial than uh, them sometimes um, licensing a really expensive uh, typeface and then using it for uh, in cases where they're not allowed to use it. Um, because that also happens. A lot of times people use typefaces um, illegally and they're not even, they don't even realize that they're doing that. So there's just a lot of uh, gap in the education of type usage uh, and type applications, which is something that I need to cover before I even get to the point of saying, hey, I can do this for you. Um, now I'm just going to switch tracks pretty uh, onto a completely different topic, which is something that really brought your work to my attention a couple of years ago. And that is um, you do these type walks, yeah. right? So how did you get started in the type? How did you, first of all, what are the type walks that you do? Okay. And how did you get started in it? Uh, so a type walk is, um, Think of it as a heritage walk. I am basically your guide. Um, there are a bunch of people around me who are following me as I walk through tiny lanes and larger roads. Uh, so far only in Bombay because I've only conducted type walks in Bombay. Uh, and I will um, talk about the typography that we encounter in these spaces. So this typography could be uh, the name of a building, so the sign that comes in the building, uh, the signage of a shop, um, it could be signage uh, for the road itself. Um, 
things that you've always seen around you but might not have noticed um because that's what happens with with uh, signages especially it's only when something's not working is when you notice it if you can't find a sign for something that you're looking for that's when you're like oh where is the sign for it but if it's there in an obvious place you you never really struggled for it and then put all of these signs in a historic context because some of these signs are really old they're in front of buildings that have been around uh, for longer than a century um and and some of them are far younger and um, how the signs sometimes reflect that architecture and sometimes are completely uh, different in style then you also because you're in bombay you have multiple scripts to work with you definitely have devnagri which is used to write marathi and hindi on those signs and how that can be really interesting sometimes you learn the pronunciation of english words um properly by reading the marathi sign uh, so all of like it it's a real experience and no two type works are ever the same because sometimes uh, some signs disappear but also sometimes people have different questions that come up so it it really is uh, a pretty cool experience i enjoy doing it it allows me to um, make other people excited about this subject that i truly truly enjoy and that is also really fun and how did you get how did you even decide to start doing a type walk um so i used to walk around bombay i mean i've been doing this for at least 10 years when i was in uh, in college um so i'm i'm familiar with the south bombay part of it which is the old city which is uh, uh, which has a really long history um and because i'm interested in the history in general i went on this uh, heritage walk uh, conducted by Alisha Sadikot who does a whole bunch of um, heritage walks across the city and again she makes history so much fun um by uh, talking about how a place was historically significant but how it's also transformed over time and how it's used today and she saw me taking pictures of all these interesting signs as we walked along uh, her route and we started talking and she realized i knew a lot more about the signs than just what was written on them um and she worked with museums uh, on various uh, sort of activities she uh, she worked with a whole bunch of museums and galleries in bombay and for one of the exhibits at uh, uh, at the max muller bhavan here in bombay uh, she asked if i would conduct a type walk because it kind of worked with the exhibit that was happening over there and uh, I wanted to do one and this gave me a deadline um to sort of plan one and figure it out and that's how I did my first walk uh, the museum offered a, a free type walk to the public because they were going to pay me and we had some ridiculous amount of people sign up uh, for that and then my first type walk was basically taking about 30 40 people around uh, parts of um uh, old bombay um, and talking about all these signs that I loved. And that was my first type walk that I did and then I started doing it by myself because I realized a lot more people were interested about it. Um, and um so so I also okay so you talked about a sign vanishing right um i worked with an architect once to photograph and document art deco buildings yeah. in madras and that was super fascinating because i love architecture in general but especially i love art deco yeah. uh, design itself and uh, of course bombay has a huge art deco culture right yeah. so we would we would do a recce and then scope out these buildings and sometimes we would end up shooting it a couple of months later and some of the buildings would be gone and um, some several of the buildings that i have actually photographed um have been demolished because now they are like 80 year old buildings that are gone and there's the only record probably the only proper record of that beautiful house or a very unique window or a doorway or something like that which yeah. would not be found anywhere else in the world is only in the photos that i have shot right yeah. so which is very similar to um uh, signs yeah. so how how do you is there some way that you document it or uh, do you document it do you like make notes do you write are you 
I, I know this is probably jumping the gun, but are you writing a book that you could do <laughs> on these signs? Because it sounds something. It sounds like something I would want to look back on later on. Um, a book would be amazing. Uh, at this moment, I'm not writing one, but um, I am documenting these uh, signs mostly with my phone. I want to do it a little bit more. Uh, um, properly with like a proper camera so that uh, i can frame them and, like uh, like frame the picture a lot more better because a lot of times my signs are um, like on the go i'm walking past and i see something interesting and i whip out my phone and i take a picture of it um and yeah i, I remember this one uh, walk that i used to do okay. a lot of times so i was fairly familiar with the route and i knew which signs i wanted to talk about and we came to the end of the road and thankfully there was another sign next to it that was still there but there were two signs next to one another which i used to find really interesting and i wanted to talk about one but i had to tell them sorry uh, everyone but like i wanted to talk about a sign that was here but uh, now i can't because it's gone and that's i mean that's something that everyone just needs to accept um uh, but also conversely i'm hoping that because people come on the type walk and this is extremely naive of me that they do get a bit more educated or they they start noticing these things for themselves and because they notice this they see the value in it and because they see the value in it that might fuel them towards wanting to conserve something in their neighborhood so it 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 might not be me but because they see the value in it they want to maybe document it even in their own way so that it gets preserved in some form or the other um, yeah you know so what i've um, um, I, when you look at photographs of uh, old photographs of any city right cityscapes yeah. the streets there are a number of things that clue you in you can convert any photo to black and white and make it look old yeah. but um there are so many little uh signs that point towards the era that it is the clothes the cars and the signs yeah. right the signs are just so evocative of one particular time yeah um and that's something that i've have really enjoyed seeing like even as you said just walk around and you you'll spot it so anyone who even hears about this they'll find ways of spotting these signs so how do um, people is if someone's interested in doing one of these walks with you how yeah. do people go about it um i have unfortunately not been able to do any this year because uh, of quarantining and i really don't want to speak to someone through a mask that just feels very strange and also usually it's a larger crowd and all of that uh, is difficult um but hopefully next year allows for it in some way um instagram my instagram handle is where i usually publicize uh, and it's i i i'm i'm always amazed at how tickets sell just because of instagram and twitter uh, and that's where people sort of find me so we've talked about fonts we have talked about um, what goes into type design we've talked about um type walk we talked about your writing in uh, about type um yeah. is there something that you'd like to see change in the industry around you um or is there something that you'd just like to improve upon for yourself um i'd like people to be using more uh fonts legally um i would love for them to be um commissioning more fonts but that's less altruistic of me <laughs> yeah but more than anything else uh the first part of it let um, i i hope more designers um use fonts legally and sort of use them well um because sometimes i i, I feel like they don't know what all fonts can do like there are stylistic sets uh, and there are all these alternates and um, all of that but i also hope to see more uh, designs made in indian languages you have a lot more designs that 
are sort of uh, more Western uh, in their style uh, and in the English language. But we have uh, a lot more languages and scripts that this country has. You have a lot more uh, people speaking and reading those languages uh, and consuming content in those languages. Uh, so I hope to see more designers designing for that audience rather than for their Instagram followers. Yeah. Um, you know, when you talk about regional, uh, regional languages and things, Indian languages, um, do you yeah. design in those languages also? Yes, uh, that was actually my uh, specialization at Reading. We specialized in uh, language in, in multiple scripts, and uh, I chose um, Devanagari. So, um, Indian scripts in general, but particularly Devanagari, is something um, that um, I designed for typefaces for. So, if you have uh, a font of Starting with the fact that if you want to make your logo work in other languages, so that in itself can be something that you can think about, uh, and a lot of uh, places do this. But because you're, if you're a national brand, you want it to go across the country, and you might want a logo in a regional language, um, and you can make it look like your original logo that was designed in English. So that can uh, be a starting point, and then from there on, you can also have typefaces that support different languages. Tanya, thank you so much for doing this. Um, I've been waiting to talk to you uh, even before I had a podcast and I'm glad that we were able to make the connection and um, make this conversation happen. Likewise, thank you so much for uh, inviting me to speak over here. And also, um, this took a while to happen. So, yeah. uh, I'm very happy that we finally managed to do this. And this was a lot of fun. Thank you. To watch this and other episodes of the show, please subscribe to Srinath Pictures on YouTube or you can listen to the audio podcast by subscribing to Everything Comes Together on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify or on the podcast app of your choice. The music for the show was composed by Ashray Harishankar from Escapist Music. Post-production by Tiruvikraman Srinivasaragavan of SNS Arts Development Consultancy and Production Assistance by Abdul Jilani. You can reach me on Instagram at Srinag or from my website www.srinagpictures.com. I'll be back in two weeks with another fascinating guests who work in photography, architecture or design. Until we meet again, it's goodbye from Mylapur.